Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode one of The Tight Beam, the newest podcast on the Random Chatter Network covering The Expanse, both the television series and the novels. I am Eric, and I am joined tonight by my three co-hosts, Lou. Lou, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. All right. Excited to be here talking about The Expanse. Yeah, taking a break from all that snow shoveling to be on the podcast, right? Well, first day of spring, we were supposed to get snow, but it bypassed us, so. Ah, okay. Well, that's good. Yeah, I'm not too upset because I'd like to see some green grass. All right. Shannon, what about you? Are you shoveling snow today? Uh, Well, when I called out of work yesterday, my dad had me tell my boss that I need to stay home so I could shovel and then never asked me to shovel. Well, that so sounds like a good deal. most shoveling I did <laughs> was getting the snow out of the car door handle so I could open it to go to work. Oh, See, if you could have stayed home from work and not shoveled, that would have been. Well, I, could, I was only staying home for one there. day. That was yesterday. I went back to work today. Ah, uh, okay. I yes, understand. Yes. The roads were fine today. It was yesterday that they weren't good. Okay. That makes more sense. I was thinking you need to get Dawes to do your negotiation for you or something because I, you, know, you could have really like worked that out nicely. But uh, Apparently, I didn't have to do anything. So. Well, that's good. All right, now, how about our person up in the great white north, Andrea? How are you doing today? You got a lot of snow? <laughs> nope, no, no, everybody's talking about the snow, and I'm here in Canada, and it's nice and green, All right. waiting for everything to bloom, so it's pretty good. I'm really excited. <laughs> well, that's that's good, I guess, that, that beats having to shovel anything. Yes, yes, so, but I live in an apartment, so I don't have to shovel either Oh, way. well, <laughs> see, that's the best way to go. Oh, yes. my days of living in an apartment. That was nice. Didn't have to shovel anything, no gardening. All right. Well, the other thing we're waiting to bloom here is the third season of The Expanse, which is coming up very, very shortly, April 11th, on the Sci-Fi Network in the U.S. and on the Space Channel up in Canada. Is that right? Yes. Just okay. space. I'm sorry, just space. It's in space in we, Canada. We, we covered this That's already. That's so confusing. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, you know, um, this is uh, one of the episodes we're doing before the launch of season three. So we've got some time to kill. So we thought, well, what do we want to cover? And we thought, well, why don't we just do kind of a quick overview of season one? We'll do another episode that's kind of a quick overview of season two, and then we'll jump right into season three. Like we said in our episode zero episode where we were just kind of talking about what the podcast is going to be like, we are going to come back and look more in depth at seasons one and two about character development about events, plot moments, things like that. So we are going to get into a little bit more analysis. But for today, let's just kind of talk about our, our general thoughts on season one. But before we get to that, we have a bit of news. Is that right, Shannon? We have a bit of exciting bit of news, actually. Okay. Uh, so the other day it was announced that The Expanse has received a Siren Award nomination for Best Science Fiction Television Series. All right. uh, also nominated are The 100, Colony, Doctor Who, The Orville, Salvation, and The X-Files. Hmm. So. I have not watched Salvation. Neither have I. And I've not seen the recent X-Files, but I've I've been keeping up with the general... Uh, thoughts about that. I've watched all of the others. Well, it's been a long time since I've watched Doctor Who because of some things. Okay. But uh, we'll so save I can't that for our speak... Doctor Who podcast once we start. Yeah. One, which we should. I can't. 
speak to because the only one here that I like 100% have been meaning to watch is the Orville. Okay. So I can't really speak to anything except the expanse and my enthusiasm to watch the Orville. That's it. Okay. Um, my personal take on this, again, I've not seen salvation. I've seen the others and I'm not just saying this because we're on an expanse podcast, quite the opposite. I think we're probably doing an expanse podcast because this is true. I think the expanse is the best of any of these shows, the Orville Shannon. I think the Orville is a lot of fun. It's a lot mm-hmm. of fun, like fun, but it's not a great show. Like I, I'm a little surprised it even got a nomination for this. And I, you know, I'm happy for uh, Seth MacFarlane and, and the rest of the cast and crew on the show and more power to them. And I'm looking forward to the second season. It's just, mm-hmm. it's the type of show you watch for fun, not right. because it's a good show. You know what I mean? Right. It's yeah. different than anything else on on TV at the moment, though. So yeah. maybe that's why it got nominated. Could be. Yeah. And there are some things about the 100 that have been a little questionable currently and in the past. Yeah. So yeah. I'm surprised to see it up there based on some of the things I heard about writing quality. Um, Colony, though, I've heard is is really good and interesting. Colony. So yeah. I'm not surprised to yeah. see it up yeah. there. Yeah. Colony is very good. I, I'd put yeah. that on par with The Expanse as far as writing and mm-hmm. the way it's shot and that kind of stuff. It's a very good show. And see, I've still got to catch up on Colony. I've seen most of season one, and that's it. I haven't. But the thing with it. Colony is that it's still a lot of mystery. They're two seasons mm. in. There's not really a lot of closure in terms of what's going on. So right. I. I I don't think it kind of deserves the award, so but we'll see. Um, I watched both seasons, so okay. we'll see how it goes. The 100, okay, but I, I do agree with Eric. The Expanse seems to, and again, not a biased opinion, but I do think that it does have a really good shot at winning. Right. I mean, quick, quick thing from me and Andrea. The day we went to set was actually the day of the Hugo Awards. Yeah. And so we were cool. there when they found out that they won for Leviathan Wakes. Nice. Mm-hmm. And that's, it was so cool. I'm pretty sure Wes came in yelling when he came to yeah. work about it. <laughs> we heard him like two, two rooms over just yelling about it, but you know, it was really exciting and well-deserved. I mean, they were up against game of Thrones, which is yeah. a yeah. big deal. Yeah. Um, so it would be great for them to win. Oops, I hit something. It would be great for them to win. Uh, an award against, you know, purely sci-fi, sci-fi, quote unquote, shows right. to show its standing within sci-fi television, not just sci-fi fantasy, and I think not just genre. Is, yeah, I think it's well-deserved. I think it needs to be um, acknowledged. And it's funny because I think that when we were on set, we were actually the ones who announced it to some of the crew members oh, because wait, they did yeah. not know. So we were more nice. in the loop than they were. So it was really That's fun. cool. Well, I tell you what, I I think that uh, of the list here, I think The Expanse really probably has the strongest chance of winning the Saturn Award. I mean, Doctor Who this last season was was good, but like a lot of other seasons, there were a lot of episodes that were kind of, eh. And then there were Mm -hmm. some really strong episodes at the end, but only at the end. And then That sounds like a Stephen Moffat season, so that doesn't surprise me. Right, exactly, exactly. More of the same. So I'm really curious as to how things are going to go with this next season with the new showrunner. Uh, and, well, and with the new doctor as well, Colony, um, I've, I've liked Colony. And if it's continued in, in the guise of what I've seen so far, it's probably 
the best second option here. But like Andrea, what you were saying about the fact that it's still a lot of mystery and not really a lot of closure or fulfillment yet with the expanse, we get both. We get yeah. fulfillment and we get closure as new mysteries are introduced. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something that we don't see in a lot of, well, not just sci-fi shows, but any sort of, of television right now. You get one or the other. You get so much closure that there's nothing left to wonder about. Or right. you get like Lost where, and, and I love Lost, but it's just nothing but mystery <laughs> after mystery after mystery. So I, I think it's that allowed. Balance. What's that? So made that no rule. No puns. No, I'm kidding. Oh, <laughs> You're on the wrong podcast the if you don't episode, want puns, let me tell I? you. <laughs> uh, I made a pun. I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah. Th this is, uh, we, we shouldn't let people in on that in episode one, though, <laughs> letting them know all the puns that they're in for, because <laughs> they, they should discover that on their own. They can be their own mystery. <laughs> all right. Well, let's get into the discussion then. Um, I want to know what you guys liked about season one. You know, Looking back, what were what were some of the elements of this season that really stood out to you guys? I'm, I'm going to go first. So you guys have an opportunity to think a little bit about, you know, what it is you want to answer with. But I think for me, it was really just the thing that stood out for me on a personal level was watching the pilot episode and seeing the realization of all the stuff from the book, how they handled the science, how they handled the introduction to series station. Um, I, I think that that was one of the things that I really liked about the first season was just how well they were able to transition everything from the book into a visual medium. I do agree with that. I think that that seeing a book come to life, sometimes it's a risky thing to do. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we do see the fallbacks of it, but it was really nice to see everything just come together. Some things the way that we imagined them and then some very differently. Right. Yeah. So Andrea, what did you, what did you like about season one? What do you think that they did well? Um, it's very interesting because I went into watching season one, even though I had read the books with a new perspective. And it was really nice that I was able to separate the book from the show itself. And every single time an episode aired, I felt like I couldn't trust anybody. Hmm. Even though I knew the characters from the books, um, it was really nice to, to question who are the good guys, who are the bad guys. And it was nice to see that depending on where you stood, their actions were justified. So even if a bad guy was doing something bad, again, quote unquote, bad guy was doing something bad, their perspective and their justification for it, you're like, I get it, even though it's bad. Right. And if a character did something, quote unquote, good, you see their justification, but to us, it might have not been good. So it's really nice that it makes you very conscious about perspective, where you stand. And it's very fascinating because when it comes to survival, your perception of how things are going to be viewed is very different. So I really like that. And talking to people that haven't read the books, they really enjoyed that because it was throwing people for a loop. Right. And the other thing that I really enjoyed about 
the show itself was that even though I had read the books, there were also new surprises and having those surprises made the book, the show very refreshing that even I didn't know what was going to happen next. And when they were introducing Mm. to new characters, um, different characters that were in the book were slightly shifted and changed. So I really enjoyed those. They were very refreshing to see, um, come to life. So regarding the changes, um, one of the things that I really liked was them introducing uh, Avasarala in the first season of the show. I'm really glad that they did not wait until season two or later because she doesn't appear in the first book at all. It's not until the second book that we see her. Um, And it's not really a spoiler that has nothing to do with like the plot lines of the books or anything. So don't worry about that. But um, I really think that it was smart of them to introduce her this early on in the series. I think that was a smart move. It was a good idea to bring Earth's perspective in earlier than the second book, because while we didn't exactly have like Mars's perspective, quote unquote, in, um, you know, the first season slash first book, whatever, Mm -hmm. uh, we had a lot more interactions with Martian groups and characters in the first book and the first series than we did in, you know, or the first season, that was very European of me. Um, (laughs) So having that opportunity to have Earth's perspective, like there were interesting conversations, like when, you know, they were discussing Holden's motivations at the UN and to talk about, well, he was a naval officer. Well, he was discharged, like he was dishonorably discharged, like stuff that we didn't get through their, not only their perspective, but like how they're going to view the story Right. As like as well was it really added mm-hmm. to it. Yeah. And it kind of um gave it a lot more depth and tension that was kind of missing because we didn't have the only window we had was Holden and he hadn't been there in a long time. So right. I really think having Aaron Wright in early and having Avasarala in early really like it added a lot. And I thought it was a really good change. Yeah. I, agree with that. I, I, I think it, it, it really broadened the scope of what was going on a lot. It gave us a lot more of the tensions early on too, because we didn't get the, the, the scope of what the tensions were in the solar system mm-hmm. in the first book at all. It was very much right. a story in a bottle about the crew of the Rosinante and where they were and where they went from, you know, here to there to there, where all the trouble followed them. Now you had this much broader view of what was going on in the entire solar system. And it was a real eye opener for me, at least it kept the, like, like Andrew said, it kept the show very interesting, very fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even, even right from episode one, when we had the, the gravity torture stuff going on. Oh yeah. 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 It was like, Oh, that's, that's serious. You know, it's like, okay, <laughs> that's new. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and what a great introduction to Avasarala as well. I mean, that was, you know, she goes from playing around with her grandkid to walking <laughs> right. into that, I mean, wow! You, you really knew that, like the show what was a transition was going deep, <laughs> right? Right. But again, uh, it makes the audience feel like, should I love this person because they are torturing this yeah. individual, <laughs> right? So, I mean, again, it's just that constant fear of whether you're right or wrong. Well, and going if there back is to not what, right or wrong, going back to what you said um, at the beginning of this topic, Andrea, the. I like when television shows introduce these moral dilemmas to people and make you wonder whether or not the character is really a good guy or bad guy. Um, I because the show, agree. in yeah. blurring of those lines and making people wonder what the right answer is, 
it causes audience members to become more immersed in the show and more invested. And I think that that was really, really smart, the way that this show was written in such a way to hook the audience by making the audience make their own decisions as the show's going along. So you're not really just sitting back and and watching from the sidelines as much as you're actually trying to figure out, well, wait a minute, he's doing is he doing the right thing for the wrong reasons or is he doing mm-hmm. the wrong thing for the right reasons? I mean, right off the bat, things get complicated enough that you've really got to think as you're watching the show, not so much to be able to follow it and keep up, but in order to, to kind of figure out who's making the right decisions and, and who's not. And it, I, I really appreciate the level of immersion that that causes in audiences and they yeah. seem to nail that in this show. And yeah. it's so important because as Amos says, it's all about that churn. It's, it's about the survival. It doesn't matter what you do as long right. as you're on top and you're able to survive. So it doesn't matter if you have to pull the trigger. It doesn't matter if somebody has a gun on your head. It's all about survival. And that's something that's so captivating because you never know what you're going to do until you're at that moment where you have to fight for your life. And and I like that because you never know what the human nature is going to do as soon as you're in that position. So I, it, it fascinates me as a, as a biologist, as a person that's that loves to study the mind, it's fascinating to me. Yeah. I mean, and it also kind of raises the stakes. Cause I remember when I first got into the show, cause it was between one and two. So a lot of people were still watching season one. A lot of people like weren't sure how to take that. They felt that it didn't fit, but it raises the stakes. Where, how far is she willing to go right. to exactly. get the information to protect earth? So like, maybe we think it doesn't fit, but it shows you how high the stakes are yeah. Uh, yeah. for her and for the tensions between the three powers. And regarding the three powers and the tension, they're all kind of coming from the same point of view, but from different angles. I mean, they're all, again, they're all trying to survive. Mars yeah. has its own perspective of what their survival is and their sur- what their survival means. Earth has its own perspective. The belt has its own perspective. So they're all, I mean, they have differences, but they're all the same. And it all comes down to that human nature. They're humans. They're humans in different areas and they have different cultural identities, but there's not one bad guy and there's not one good guy. They're, they're all, they're all good and they're all bad simultaneously. Yeah, I agree. And I think a lot of that probably has to come from the fact that The Expanse was originally designed as an MMORPG video game where you had different factions and the players, in theory, would have, you know, they would have been able to join one of the three factions and any one of them would have been the right choice. And Mm -hmm. as, as it became a work of fiction instead, we're seeing the different characters, the different heroic characters come from all different sides. Depends on where you sit. You know, yeah, exactly. You know, what, what, what side of the table did you uh, pull up a chair to? And that's who's right. Right. Who's going to push the red button, space somebody out of the airlock. Yeah. <laughs> oh, if only there were some common enemy that they could all band together. And we're getting too far ahead of ourselves. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> all right. We, we, there... We're not even like past the first episode at this point. I, it's called <laughs> foreshadowing. It, it's. Uh... So regarding season one, is there anything else that, that you think um, 
they did really, really well. I, I, I can think of, I, I really liked, and I was really on the fence at first, but I liked where they ended the season. I liked okay. the divergence from the books as far as the timing of the chronology. I, mm-hmm. I think it was wise of them to end the first season <clears throat> at that episode, especially for the, the episode count that they had. I mean, yeah, it was, a great, it was a great spot to end. Right. Yeah. It left you with a lot of tension and a lot of questions and made sure you came back. Right. Yes. And yet still yeah. basically resolved the, the hunt for Julia Mao. It was right. super organic. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It made sense. It, it just, it fit. And, yeah. and like, like we've, you know, discussed outside of recording before, you know, they had in mind, well, people are never going to just watch it season by season. In the future, they're going to watch all of it at once. Mm-hmm. Right. So it wasn't a question of do we like let's, you know, are we going to do book by book by book? It was more where does it feel natural to end, but still feel like it's going to be a natural continuance into the next season? Yeah. And I, I thought that was cool. Yeah. I, I think that they really it it's funny because they've made a lot of decisions along the way with adapting this to television that um, change the nature of what they did with the books. And that's a really dangerous thing to do. Mm-hmm. And yet I would argue that they've succeeded with almost every step that they made in that regard. And there have been several, yeah. you know, Avasarala or Avasarala, depending on whether you're listening to the audiobook <laughs> or watching the television series. Um and uh, where they ended with season one and some stuff in, in season two that we'll get to next episode. And I, I think that they've tactically, they've been making really good choices and, and I'm a little surprised. I, I guess I kind of figured that something would fall flat in that regard. And I can't think of anything that has yet. And, and Shannon did say it very well. It, it's natural. And that's yeah, what I love. There is closure, but then there's the mystery and, and you get it season one and season two that although we did get closure in season two, you're still left with the, Oh my goodness, I need more. And right. that's the thing that I love. Yeah. Now, one thing that the listeners of the random chatter network know about us and our shows is that we care so much about the content that we're covering that we're going to be honest about it. We're going to sink our teeth in and and really dig into it. We're going to analyze it. We're going to dive right into the deep end. And sometimes that's going to stir up some things that aren't quite as good, but we're not going to shy away from those just to be some kind of, you know, fan cast or something like that. We want to actually look at everything and that's going to involve some negative things from time to time. Uh, and, And that's just, that's how analysis works. So I don't want anybody thinking that if we point out something that, you know, maybe we're nitpicking about that we're we're trying to put a negative spin on anything. And that's not the case. We're just trying to look analytically and fairly. And the wonderful thing about The Expanse is that it's it's such a good show that there's not really been anything negative yet that has has detracted from the quality of of the show that the good things so radically overpower anything negative that it's really not that big a deal. But I do want to ask for the sake of um, looking at this objectively, is there anything about season one that maybe you didn't appreciate or that you think that they, they didn't do as well that maybe they could improve on as the series goes on? 
I'll start because everybody's quiet. Okay, good. I, I'm looking <laughs> well, at the video here and I'm hoping somebody does. I'm still stuck in positivity mode because I That's only fine. thought about the things I liked. So I don't have any answers to this question as of there, now. And I don't know wrong with that. if I will. I don't so, know. So then I am going to allow you to think. Um, okay. So the very first thing that I thought was very difficult to keep track of in season one was the Belter language. Now, as okay. I continue to watch season one and season two over and over again, you get to understand the language a little bit better. But as a first time viewer, not a lot of people understood the Belter language. It was very hard. They were like, why are they talking this way? Some of the words were really hard to understand. So I can understand why people were really put off by that. Right. And a lot of the times I found myself needing to have the, um, the subtitles, subtitles in order to understand what was going on. Yeah. Um, so that was one of the fallbacks in terms of something I didn't like. And then the other thing I didn't like was the direction in which Miller's story took place um they kind of made it seem like it was a love story between miller and julie and he was very in love with him uh, i mean very in love with her right um and it was confirmed um with dawes when he says that you're in love with julie um and i really never saw that interaction miller trying to seek out where julie was as a romance as love i just saw her as um I just saw it as Miller finding purpose to the life that was already in shambles and him finding that purpose allowed him to continue that drive that sacrifices his job and everything and it ultimately his life. Um, but I really just didn't like the direction that it, it took Miller in. Um, and then one of the characters that I thought was very purposeless or meaningless in the show was Octavia. I just didn't yeah. think that she was one of the characters that I was just like, they could have done. Could have done without her. Something else. Right. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that if Havelock would have not gotten his chest punctured, he would have just been a fine replacement. Um, so again, little things like that, that do make little difference, but those are things that, could have been changed or could she, have been different. Octavia was the one character that I felt like was more of just a storytelling mechanism as opposed to yeah. a real character. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'll, I'll chime in with you on the Miller thing. I mean, it, it, it didn't feel right to have it as a love story in, in the TV show. You're absolutely correct on that. And, and from the book, I, I, I got it as, the, you know, he had a love for her, but it was a love for her almost as a, as a father, as a second father. Yes, he, that's he what I He wanted to about. help her. He wanted to get her home. He wanted to solve her mystery. I it, didn't it get wasn't that in nothing... the book. Really? Okay. No, I got the father and daughter kind of vibe. No, I, I got, see, I mean, when you look at the psychology of it, a lot of people, if they're dealing with loneliness and social social isolation, uh, it becomes easy for them to fixate and romanticize the idea of someone or the idea of a particular mm -hmm. someone and the the concept of that person. And I guess I always saw Miller kind of falling into that rabbit hole of uh, it, it being more about him filling a, a gap within himself. I mean, he doesn't really know right. Julie, but this right. concept that he built builds up as Julia. It's, it's almost kind of a stalker sort of a okay. thing. And I'm not saying he yeah. did anything wrong. That's how I felt as well. I right. was very uncomfortable with that, which was why 
I didn't necessarily see Dawes saying you're in love with her as the truth. That's what he's seeing. I, um, I so think every that time... he did come to a point where he felt like he was, was in love yeah. with her. It, it, it wasn't a real love. He mm-hmm. did become in love with the idea of her, it, but it was very, yeah. again, a very much in a stalkery point of way, but not in a way that I don't think he was trying to be a stalker. His job was to, in fact, go find her. So I get that. But I think as he started right. trying to piece together her life in order to, to try to locate her, I think he ended up developing what he felt was a level of intimacy with the details of her life Right. that he confused with romantic intimacy and he wasn't in a good mindset. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, what I, I, I mean, I was, I, I was saying that, uh, I don't think Miller saw it that way either right. at first. Right. What I meant to say was that Dawes interpreted it that way. That's how I always yeah. saw it from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And because I think we're starting to stray into season two a little bit. Right, right, yeah. And so that's why I'm trying not to okay. talk much about, you know, I'm personally trying not to talk, but speaking specifically to that line, I think it's something that Miller didn't necessarily see as that until Dawes was like, oh, well, you're in love with her. Because what right. I right. got was, here we go, another like older man ideal putting an idealized version of a young woman up and then like imagining her and blah and I was like that put me off so having yeah. it in the show be a little different in that build up where instead you know he doesn't realize what he's doing until somebody points it out to him right he's right. not so, sitting there fantasizing about her necessarily it's just he doesn't understand his he's own just fixated that's right, it right Absolutely. He's not fantasizing, he's fixating. And that, for me, was a little easier to stomach yeah. in season one. I, but, I won't go into how I felt about season two yet, because we're only <laughs> on season one. But, but, but to what that, Andrea said, that, though, I, I think that the fact that we've got some different takes on it indicates that they didn't explain it very well in the show. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, uh, I, I agree. it does come down to that. The, the fact that, and, and there are some views that, or even outside of what the four of us are saying now that are even additional opinions to this. And I think that if they explained it a little bit better on the show, then maybe there wouldn't be so many different misunderstandings about what's going on or confusion about what's going on. So, and I mean, if somebody else has a different interpretation of what happened with Miller and Julie and all that storyline, please mm-hmm. like let us know. Cause I want to yeah, know absolutely. what other people's mm. interpretations are. Yeah. So, all right. Anything what else, else did you guys <laughs> not like? <laughs> Anything you else know, I, before we move on? Lou, go ahead. Yeah, yeah I'll get one thing out. Um, <laughs> something that you said you actually liked about it too, which is kind of a you know contradiction to what you were saying. But oh, I I I liked the fact that it was it was good to see it on screen from the from the book. Mm-hmm. But the writing was so good in the books, and it's hard to translate some of that stuff into a visual medium. And mm-hmm. impossible to translate a lot of the stuff into a visual medium, especially the yeah. stuff about how it felt to fly on the ships. Yeah, the books gave you such a great narrative and a great vision in my mind of what it was like to go, you know, on on a hard burn or you know um, any of the stuff in the book about it. Maybe it was in book two and three about the battles and so forth, but. You felt like you were there. You felt like you knew what it was like to fly in space, and they can't do that on television because they just can't. It's you know you can't yeah. simulate zero gravity, and, and there's no way to do that. Um, so for me, it was it took me out of the story a little bit when you saw that kind of stuff. 
it was just like, okay. I mean, I, I get it, but it's like, I, I know you can't give me what I want to see, so I'm not going to fault you for it. Right. But that's the thing. I mean, to it, be it fair, did take me out of it. Yeah. did they not do a better job than most other television when it comes to it? I mean, I, I yes. get it. You're, you're right. It's not, you know, yeah. they, they couldn't quite get all the way there, but I, I have mean, something to say to that point, Lube. I'm saving it for season two because for me, it was a bigger issue with a character's arc in season two. Okay. So okay. like, mm. I agree with you. I'm not necessarily for season one is the thing because it's a lot of external stuff happening. Yeah. But for season two, when all the internal stuff starts coming in, I, I will definitely have some agreements with you on that one. I'll bring that up next time. So I, stay tuned. <laughs> yeah. I remember there was, I need Get to go ready. back and rewatch season two before we record next. Cause I remember that there was one yes. thing that um, didn't sit well with me and I complained about it on a podcast and then we got some listener feedback that clarified it. And then all of a sudden it clicked and it made perfect sense. And I'm like, Oh yeah, no, this, those physics totally make sense now. But at the moment I, it was like, how can, like this doesn't even describe what's really going on. And and then mm-hmm. it made perfect sense. But yeah, there were some things in season two about the space flight and stuff like that, that we definitely need to to revisit. Yeah, they are. They definitely put out a disclaimer for at least one space moment in season two, which I thought was very funny. Uh, They got ahead of it. And that that made me laugh more than anything. And that was was pretty good. But I like that because they're thinking about the people that actually think about the science. And I love that. And I respect that because they do their research. They do want to make it as real as possible. And I love that. I don't remember which season this is from off the top of my head, but there's a scene where somebody's pouring a drink and Miller, the, Miller, yes. it, it season screams one. along at an angle and into the cup. And NASA scientists were actually like, they sat down and tried to figure out, okay, given the rotation of the station as portrayed on the show and the, the percentage of gravity that's indicated and the Coriolis effect, how would it actually look in real life? And they said, yeah, the show nailed it. Yeah. I NASA mean, the scientists confirmed they did it right. Like, that's cool. I mean, one of my favorite scenes, which was hard for me to visualize in the book, but I did love it in the book. I just couldn't, when they put it in the show, it was the scene where Holden has to get Naomi. Oh, I love mag that scene. Lose power. Yes. That was I thought it was super cool in the book, but when I finally got to see it, beautiful, it was yeah. awesome. Like it yeah. was just the physics of that. Cause watching Holden work through it in his head in the book versus seeing him like do it really fast in the show was awesome. Yeah. It was really, really well done. You mm-hmm. know, there's, there's a line from JMS, the guy who created and produced and wrote and directed Babylon five, which is another, one of my favorite science fiction shows. He was asked at a convention, how fast do the star furies travel? Um, and, and those are like the Starfighter, like the X wing yeah. sort of ships. And he said, star furies travel at the speed of plot. And I mean, it kind of <laughs> shut the question down, but it's exactly correct. And <laughs> a lot like of shows, you, you kind of have to do that when you're doing storytelling. And I'm really right. impressed with the expanse that they don't, they try to avoid going that route as often as they can. They give mm-hmm. you actual physics and actual science every opportunity. Now, Shannon, right. you mentioned the thing that we'll get to in season two, where they, they kind of had to make a caveat saying, ah, sorry, I can forgive that. For as yeah. often as they get it right, you know? Right. Right. It, it also matters that the story is so good 
the physics of it really don't matter all that much. Yeah, right. but the you fact know. that they put effort into it. Exactly. That's that yeah. means a lot. It helps with the world building. People. Yeah. Because yeah. it's not it's not like, you know, a, a world where take Star Wars, for example, right, where mm -hmm. the physics are different because it's it's almost like a space fantasy. Right. Whereas this is it's reality just further in the future with different technology. Right. So, of course, it's going to reflect how things really work because it's it's less fantasy and more hard like re science reality. Right. We're yeah. supposed to believe this is us in the future. Yeah. Like this right. is 200 years from now. Right. reality down the road. Right. I and mean, we, we are never under that premise with Star Wars. So, <laughs> yeah, that's a perfect example. You just broke my heart. <laughs> you want Battlestar Galactica? Will that no, be no, easier I mean, for you? <laughs> Star Wars is a perfect example of that. And, and that works fine sometimes because Star Wars is a, a science fantasy. It, it's not really science fiction. It's not supposed to depict what hmm. reality would be like if this and the expanse really yep. nails it. It gives you the world building of getting the science right, but then all, and the cultural aspect and the socio sociological aspect of things. But then you've also got um, characters that are well-written enough that you care about the individual characters. You, you can't have events and characters happen in a world that doesn't make any sense. And you can't have a show that's got great world building and nothing interesting happening in that world. You have to have both. But the, the there's also that cause and effect, right? That the characters are affected by what's happening in their surroundings. Absolutely. You see it with the Belters. Like, although you don't see it too much in, in the show, you can actually tell the differences between them and um, the Earthers and the Martians. And that's really beautiful because they yeah. do take into account that where you're at will affect your biology. And that's that's amazing. Mm -hmm. And the sociopolitical side of that as well. Yeah. They, they don't, the show doesn't get heavy into politics per se, but the sociopolitical aspect of things shows the effect that it has on individuals as individuals. And mm -hmm. so it becomes part of the character stories. And therefore it gives such context to that, that then it gives weight to the sociopolitical things going on. So it doesn't become one of these shows where you feel like you're in episode one of Star Wars watching the Senate hearing. If things are moving along and things are happening, you don't feel like you're being bogged down by the politics of the show, but mm -hmm. it allows the politics to exist in a way that has relevancy and context for the individuals that you are following their stories in the show. And then it gives that meaning as well. The show has so many levels on which it's so deep. And I, I love right. that about this show. I agree. I love that we went from discussing what we didn't like to going right back into what we did like. <laughs> See, and Without changing questions, we're still on the It would same. be hard to do that with you, other shows. Listen, listeners, you can't see our show notes. We we do have another question that is positive, but we literally haven't even gotten to it yet. We just decided to go back to being positive. Well, hey, you know, it's, I, I guess if that's something I don't like about the show is it's too hard to come up with negatives. So, you know, if these guys could just make the show a little more sucky. No, <laughs> then we would have more balanced discussions on I'm the podcast. I'm watching space, and I'm wondering if he does have more negatives. Oh, I got one more. <laughs> okay. okay, go Just, for it. I, 
Just because I was more. going off your facial expression. They're all negativity. <laughs> Every time we yeah. said something it's, happy, you were yeah, like straight face. Just like, I feel like oh, that's just Lou. Else to say. That's, yeah, that's just Lou. Just, yeah, yeah. I, I don't show a lot of emotion anyways. But no, the, the one other thing I had in my mind that was a negative about the TV show, and again, this kind of has me comparing and contrasting with the book. I didn't like the way the crew of the Rosinante was portrayed for most of the season. Not individually. Ah, individually, they were fantastic. Yeah. But the, the, the interactions between them. The dynamic. Yeah, mm-hmm. I didn't get that that adversarial thing about them in the book that much. And they really played it up in, in season one. I mean, yeah, windmills, yeah. for example. I mean. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because you know they had mean? minor, like Holden noted he was always annoyed by Alex because he was too happy. Sure. sure. And. <laughs> Um, <laughs> he never pulled a gun and held it to the back of Amos's head. Yeah. <laughs> like, whoa, wait a minute. Yeah. I, so, go ahead. To me, finish. that was a little bit of a negative that, that I, I didn't get that feeling of camaraderie that the, they seem to have in the book. Yeah. I mean, it, I, it took a little bit for me to get the hang of, cause that was, you know, even though they weren't, I only read the first book before I saw season one, by the way. Um, I didn't want to look at I didn't even know who was playing who. I just, I literally knew nothing about the show. So when I went into it, I was a little confused because like, yeah, they weren't super close based on the book I read, but like they at least in general liked each other and trusted Mm -hmm. each other. And Holden already had that XO position like his entire career with them. So it was a little odd to see him like not want the job he had. Well, you know, the no, one, he was the given one, the job well, though. Yeah, remember? I mean, he so, but he didn't want it. You're, no, right. He, right. He gave it the badge, but he literally told several people, including Naomi, he didn't want it, which I thought was funny considering in the book, he took the job right under Naomi. So I thought that was very like, I didn't want this job. I thought that was very funny, but um, it was a little hard to stomach. But when it got to the the episode, I think it was CQB when he spent the entire episode needing to get back to them and needing to yeah. save them. And Naomi, when he gets there, Naomi says to him, you came back. And he mm-hmm. says, of course I did. I was like, you know what? It's going to be fine. Like they're going to fight and they're pulling stuff forward to make it a little harder for them to get along. And that makes sense. I get it. But, you know, it was hard for me to get until CQB. And when that scene happened, he kept watching them through the video. He said he was responsible for them. I was like, you know what? It's going to be fine. But I agree. The first couple episodes were very I, it made me a little anxious even to see everyone fighting, but I just stop, don't stop like fighting. everyone. Stop fighting. Yeah. I, I don't know, like fighting. And Steven's yell is very scary, guys. I, I think <laughs> that the first time I watched it, I felt exactly that way. I, I was a little disappointed that it was going that route. Um, and keep in mind, when Lou and I first watched it, uh, Shannon, you were saying that you had um, watched it just after reading book one. Right. Yeah. Like almost immediately after finishing book one, I watched, I looked up everybody and then watched it. See, Lou and I were on book five. So Mm. we had already gotten used to that a little bit. So I think it was Mm -hmm. even more jarring to go back and and see. Oh, I can imagine. Not only them not working as a cohesive unit, (laughs) but then additionally, they weren't even not working as a cohesive unit like they were in Leviathan Wakes. It was even more so. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and I agree with Lou up until I, there was a point at which 
I went back and kind of looked at it and realized that I think the decision was one of those that was made for the sake of trying to communicate things on television versus in the book. And I think that what it did, what it succeeded in doing was that it showed us that these characters had strengths as characters. And I don't Mm -hmm. mean strengths like Amos is good at fixing things and Naomi's good with computers. I mean, strengths as, as in character strengths, emotional strengths. And I think that it really defined those characters as individuals as Mm. opposed to Mm -hmm. something like, and I love Firefly. Okay. Love Firefly. I'm total brown coat, but when you look (laughs) at that show, you look at somebody like Jane and I mean, Jane is Jane. Jane is the dumb thug and Kaylee is the sweet mechanic. And like, you've got these archetypes Mm -hmm. that they just fit into. And I, I think that this did something to kind of break down that archetypal relationship and show that uh, Naomi Naomi can be the boss just as much as Holden. Yeah. And that Amos has a lot of emotional depth to him and is not merely just a thug. And that Alex has a backstory and, and has convictions and motivations of his own as well and is not merely the pilot the happy-go-lucky tag-along guy. None of these are what I like to call backpack characters, where they're just kind of mm-hmm. there for the main hero to strap on his back and carry on through the adventure and then pull out when Looking he needs at a, you, a Luke. tool or something. Luke's Luke. a backpack character. Oh, I was like, oh my goodness. I was like, who in the world in, the, in our conversation is Luke? I see Luke. I oh, I thought you said Lou. <laughs> no, I was I like, wait a minute. Luke, okay, yeah. Luke. No, Yoda, um, that little shriveled green elf that <laughs> needs hooked on phonics. I, I think a lot of that has to do, again, with bringing forward personality and detail, um, or personality and backstory details that we don't get till book five. Right. For most, yeah. like Naomi, I love Naomi in the book, but my God, was she almost flat for most of, the, most of at least the first book. And, you know, they started giving some of her, like, you know, start bringing more depth into it with Caliban's War, which was great, but it was still so deep that you almost couldn't always get something from her away from Holden. And that bothered me for a long time. I was so grateful Nemesis Games not only gave us her backstory, but her, you know, her perspective. Yeah. But I shouldn't have had to wait till Mm -hmm. Cibola burned to hear her talk about something away from the crew and i felt like you know she she's a beloved female character and she shouldn't be flat so i was so grateful that they brought a lot of stuff forward early so that you could see her personality because i know it was the first book obviously like i it's not something i can hold against a first Mm -hmm. book yeah yeah um so i'm so grateful that by bringing forward her backstory, they were able to build her an individual personality and mm-hmm. make her what she could have been had they, you know, had all these details. Like, I mean, they probably did have all these details, but you know what I mean? Yeah. No, I think so, this was yeah, definitely the, an improvement the, the over first... the books with Naomi. Yeah. So I think by bringing those details forward, Amos's backstory was kind of hinted at in the bar mm-hmm. with Alex. Alex's backstory completely brought forward. Oh yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So 
by bringing by hinting at these things in the first couple of episodes and continuing to do so it made them more individual it yeah. made them stand out to each other and to the audience i really appreciated that yeah. and it makes you want to learn more about them it, it doesn't Naomi. put yep. Yep. It, it doesn't make you want to be like, okay, well, this character is not interesting. Every single time we see them, we kind of chip away at who they are and they're given like voices. And that's the most important thing that nobody's left in the back burner. So, yeah, right. I think it, we, that, we've gotten to a point where that's worked out, but to what Lou was saying, I mean, initially, not just in the pilot, but for several episodes after, yeah. I was kind of taken aback. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, to, to Shannon's point, I mean, I think it was great that they brought these stories forward they could have done that without making the crew at each other's throats at that point, yeah. I thought. Yeah, and, yeah and, I and, agree. You know, in, in the books, the first three books are really more about the story and less about the characters. But in a TV show, you need those characters to be lovable. You right. want to know about their backstory. You want to know about the characters more. I mean, I'm not saying they're not important in a novel. They are. But the first three books were so story-heavy, so story-driven in those first three books that you almost didn't need as much of the detail. I, I just have a problem with, you know, the – in the books, they they worked as a crew of of from from the night to the uh, Rosinante and, and all through that as a team. I mean, they they had to. They were out in space. They were they had to survive. I mean, if you don't work together as a team, you're probably not going to make it very far. Yeah. And and even further into the episodes or into season one in Windmills, when Holden's got a gun to the back of Amos's head, he's like, "Yeah, do what you oh, have to boy. do." Yeah, I'm like, but it's yeah. Amos. You know, <laughs> that stress was, fest. Yeah, but that that wouldn't have that wouldn't have happened in the book. I no, mean, they, they yeah. weren't that yeah. adversarial. It's like, well, yeah. The yeah. other That's issue true. I just remembered while you were talking, when you mentioned the night to the Rocinante, mm -hmm. a lot of time is missing from the show that we had in the book. Weeks and months of travel time mm -hmm. alone mm -hmm. together, and of course that's gonna yeah. you know by right. taking it out, you allow the movie story to move faster and. It's one of my issues with season two concerning the same storyline that it has an issue with internal versus, you know, visual medium. So, again, I'll bring it up better. It's better suited for me for season two. But, yes, I, you know, time taking all that time out kind of cuts back on the bonding. So it does that. That was probably a little at least a little tiny mm -hmm. part. of it. Yeah, that's a really good point. All right. Well, we are coming up on the hour mark. We've still got a few more things. I want to know, and we'll just make this as as quick as you're comfortable Fire. making it. <laughs> the lightning round. Um, what are your favorite moments or episodes from season one? Andrea, we'll start with you. I'll put you on the spot. Episode four, CQB, just the whole entire Doniger um, yep. episode when, and Shannon already mentioned it, when Holden and Naomi are trying to run to the Rosinante. I love that just physics behind of him trying to push himself to get, um, uh, the mag boots into the dock. So that was really good. I love that. Shed death i i don't know i'm so morbid and i always say that <laughs> that's one of my favorite and we hate it i i just love the bubble of blood i and, and just how uh, yeah. when everything just comes pouring down i don't know may i, I need to get checked to me uh, that scene no <laughs> in all seriousness so that scene in my opinion was when like things hit the fan and and you yeah. knew this show was was serious like it it's yeah it's on like at that point, that is the turning point for me in the show where I was like, when I'm bringing people into this as new viewers, if I can at least get them to that moment, 
Mm-hmm. I know they're hooked yeah. from that point on. <laughs> you know, yeah. they might duck out before that, but if I can get them that far to that scene, I, I think that was a really powerful scene. The it way was it was shot, beautiful. the emotion of it. And like you said, right up to the end of that episode. I, I agree with yeah. you, Andrew. That, that's my pick. Yeah. And, and you know, just when, when it pierces through and you hear that silence, that yes. silence is very, hear that silence, which is very <laughs> counter. Uh, but I love that. I love those little details. And then the other one, um, episode eight, Salvage. Um, when Daw says to Miller, maybe you haven't lost everything yet. When you do, you will find your way home. I love that line because, again, it, it ties back to what happens in season two. And I really love it um, because in in sorry, salvage. I love it because Miller finds Julie and it's almost like that poetic that what he found was not what he wanted. And now he's on his way to find his home. And, and I, I love it. It's a, it's a very nice thing that although I did not like where Miller's story led him, that special moment will always haunt me when he finds her and he says her name while he sees her dad. Um, I yeah. thought that was really amazing. I, I love those moments. Lou, so, what yeah, about you? <laughs> uh, see, favorite episode I think was Salvage um, for some of the same things that Andrew was just saying. I loved it when you know they met up and and then found you know the answer to the search for Julia. I thought that was just fantastic. Um, and my favorite moments in the season were probably anything with Avicerella. So, oh yeah. yes. All right, Shannon. Uh, it's so hard to pick a favorite episode, but <laughs> I'm gonna go with uh, Critical Mass Leviathan Wakes mm-hmm. okay. because the whole thing was exactly how I imagined it, yeah. minus the changes. So that was awesome. <laughs> um, no, really, the, and the changes didn't bother me that right. much. To be honest, because I mean, everything else I about was, the episode worked so flawlessly. Yeah, I right, mean, right. We, no, we, I, I just kind of chuckled that you said everything was exactly the way I appreciate except for the changes. Yeah, <laughs> I get that. <laughs> but, the changes beforehand, you are way good. <laughs> listen, it's it's mostly because we still got it in a way. Like one of my favorite things was Holden when he was like singing that theme song to himself, and Miller's just like, "What the hell is this guy on?" <laughs> but then like. We still got those looks between them, like shooting each other, those looks. So it, like I was able to, you know, forgive it. It still had the same feel is yeah. what I mean. Um, I, I'll name favorite scenes. I do have a favorite line, but I'll name the scenes really fast. Um, the first hygiene maneuver, obviously, that was when mm-hmm. I was like, yeah. this is it. This is the expanse. I'm here. Let's go. Um, I really loved the interrogation scenes. In uh, Remember the Camp, um, they were really intense. And watching them back again, there's if you watch very carefully, you can see like his pupil dilating, even mm. when it's not zoomed in on him, yeah. on um, Lopez, which was great. Um, there was something else. I can't remember it. Whatever. Um, <laughs> I loved one of my my one favorite Holden line that I could remember was uh, he's talking to Lopez. Do you miss Earth? If I did, I'd go back. And they start talking about how horrible Earthers are. And he goes, wrecking things is what Earthers do best. Mm-hmm. I thought that was very good from Holden learning yeah. where he left. And my favorite quote is from Dawes as well. All we've ever known is low G in an atmosphere we can't breathe. Earthers get to walk outside into the light, breathe pure air, look up at a blue sky and see something that gives them hope. And what do they do? They look past that light, past that blue sky. They see the stars and they think mine. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that hit me. So it's hard for me to, you know, narrow it down, but I did it for you guys because I care about you. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank Basically, you. I got her. Those, hey, all those the were Rossi awesome picks. Crew scenes, whatever. Those but yeah, were those awesome are, picks. Those are standouts for me. Um, I'm going to have to say, uh, in as far as like in addition to what's already been mentioned, um, I, I guess my favorite moments of season one really were most of the stuff with Avasarala. And anything with Dawes. I did not care about Dawes mm. in the book. He was there and he was okay. I wasn't, I didn't have any problem with the character, but he never really stood out to me. And in the show between the actor. And, the power of Jared Harris. Yes. <laughs> the power. And the dialogue that's written for him. It just, the, he is probably one of my favorite. He's probably my favorite secondary character in the series now. Yeah. Um, I just I loved every moment that he was on on screen because he always added some level of depth to the overall conversation. And I thought that that was really cool. Um, one of the things we're going to do moving forward with this show is we want to highlight the feedback that you guys send in to us, whether it be via Twitter or via email or whether it's on our discord server. We want to highlight some of the stuff you guys are saying. So um, Andrea and Shannon, you guys are kind of heading up our social media uh, division, if you will, here. And you guys asked other people to let us know what their favorite moments and episodes were, right? Yes. Yes. What did they have to say? All right. So we have Scott. So that's at NFS Smith. He said, um, critical mass and Leviathan Wake's favorite moment, aside from holding, finding the coffee on the Rossi, which I mm. completely agree, yeah. um, was when the Rossi tears free of the docking clamps and gas hauler disguised to evac arrows. And that's a really amazing scene. And then also Mark Johnson at Iron Mark Johnson. Um, he said Miller embracing his belter roots, then avenging Havelock. And I love that scene when he calls the yeah. uh, angry belt. No, it wasn't the angry belter. It was, um, I don't even remember his name, but he calls him to save him. And then he just shoots him. I thought that was oh, really brilliant. Oh, Atari or whatever. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And hold, yeah. hold in space was just priceless. What did you just so. do that for? <laughs> Shannon, what do you have? So I have from Christina, and if I'm pronouncing this wrong, I apologize because you know me. Whoops. Uh, Theora666 on Twitter said her favorite episode was Windmills uh, because of Avasarala Riding Hood, which iconic cinematography, by the way. Yes, Mm -hmm. it was a beautiful Uh, shot. Wonderful. Um, And also Donkey Balls. Uh, yeah. Fair enough, donkey balls. <laughs> I forgot about um, the donkey balls. Never, you can never remember, like, forget the donkey balls. Yeah. How could you forget the donkey balls? Um, <laughs> and uh, Bianca, uh, who is Belter Girl D192 on Twitter, said that her favorite uh, episodes were uh, The Big Empty, specifically when Naomi said, I'm sorry, does anyone need a back rub first? Which I think is another iconic moment. That was an awesome line. I mean, along with, you know, um, don't underestimate my ability to break things. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, And then uh, Salvage, uh, the scene when uh, uh, Holden saying he's going up to look check the hotel room and Naomi tells him to take Amos with him. Mm. Cool. Those are some good moments. Those are all good picks. 
And if you have more, you can still send them to us and we'll at least like them. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> and retweet them. We'll share them with the world. Listen, wait, just wait, because. Wait, wait. What if we don't like them? I still like them. We'll let grumpy old Lou respond to them then. (laughs) Come on, you know, you know, I have one thing to add though. Actually, going through them and listening to some of the quotes, I thought the quote that I loved was actually from the very first episode when I forget who the actor's name is that played the original XO, the McKenna Looney. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Oh yeah, he's awesome. Yeah, great actor. I know, Um, but I I love the quote he has about you know why couldn't we have brought more light. Oh, that was yes. heavy. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wow, that kind of makes the hair to make yeah. your neck stand up. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. okay. And and yep. you just reminded me, and everyone's going to hate me, but I'm going to do it anyway. My real favorite moment of season one was when they were naming the Rocinante and Holden types it in, but lets Naomi hit initiate. I thought that was really good teamwork. And <laughs> it was a great way to keep her from killing him for doing something she didn't want to do. Keeping someone good from job, killing Holden. you is always a good thing. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, like Shannon said, we want your feedback. Even if it's on the question we already asked, that's okay. We still want to, we want to hear your answers. We want to read what you guys have to say about it. So uh, whether it be feedback on those questions, feedback on anything else we talked about in this episode, feedback on the podcast itself, we don't care. We want to hear from you. We want this to be as interactive an experience as possible. So you can send your feedback via email to typebeam at randomchatter.com. You can also find us online. Uh, we are are kind of no longer using our network Facebook page. We quit. Uh, yeah, we, we, we're kind of quitting <laughs> Facebook for now. We're breaking up with Facebook. <laughs> it's not you, it's us. No, it's definitely you, Facebook. <clears throat> it's both. You can follow us on Twitter. Uh, the network is at Random Chatter, and this show is at The Type Beam. Don't forget the the. I'm on Twitter at Eric Blythe. That's E-R-I-K-B-L-Y-T-H-E. Shannon, where can we find you on Twitter? I'm at ShankBeezy. Okay. On Twitter. And Andrea? You can find me at CatsBears. That's K-A-T-Z-B-E-A-R-Z. If you need the American translation for that, let me know. And I'll I'll hook you up. Just write to us. We'll let you know. Lou, where can we find you you on Twitter? You can even write to Andrea. Uh, just my name. It's at Lou Secchi. That's L-O-U-S-E-C-K-I. All right. We also have a network Instagram page. Uh, it's also just random chatter. We don't have one for this show yet. Hmm. Honestly, I, keep I, guess, forgetting I guess we have another job to do, Shannon. Yeah, just, <laughs> Honestly, I can't even remember the network the has one half the time. So, <laughs> well, well, it's fairly new. We'll so work on okay. that. That's true. But, you know, regardless... There are lots of ways that you can get in touch with us. That, that's what we're trying to get across here. So um, please contact us. You can find all of our other podcasts over at randomchatter.com. We've got the main flagship show, Random Chatter. We've got some Star Wars stuff like Echo Base. We've got Getting Sidetracked, which is a, a long-form, single-topic discussion show. We've got all kinds of stuff over there. We've got a movie rampage. We've got a few new shows that are just starting up. So this is a, this is a great time. If you're just discovering the network, this is a great time to jump on board. So head over to randomchatter.com. We would love it if you would help support us, both this show and the network. Now, this is a brand new show, and a lot of people might not even be aware of it. What would be a big help to us is if you could head over to iTunes or wherever you're getting this podcast from and leave us reviews. 
That will help our exposure. That will help other people discover the show. And that will help grow the community for this show. Something that you will be helping grow your community involved with this show. So that's something that you can do to help us, but also to help yourselves and the other listeners as well. Um, you can also just word of mouth is a great way to get the word out too. Uh, tell your friends about us. I know that you guys out there listening to this are probably talking to somebody about the expanse. So when you do mention the type beam, let them know about the type beam podcast. If you want to help support the network, we do have a Patreon page. You can go to randomchatter.com slash Patreon for more information. And uh, if you're familiar with Patreon, you'll probably already know that one of the things about Patreon is it allows you to help support content creators in a way that allows the content cre creators to give something back to you. So one of what we feel are the most important things that we can give back to you, we put at our entry level donation tier, just $1 a month. We unlock our Discord server to anybody who wants to come and hang out with us. We've got tons of channels there, all kinds of different topics from food and pets to entertainment stuff like movies and television. We've got some for specific TV series and specific movies. And there's all kinds of conversations happening there. You can actually get in the main lobby on our Discord server for free. If you go to randomchatter.com slash Discord, um, that way everybody can go and hang out a little bit with us and, and talk. We've got a lot of people there talking. But if you want to join the rest of the server, it's only a dollar a month. We really appreciate all of the support that goes directly into our expenses and, and helping keep the lights on and such. And uh, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the typing, the music you hear in this show. Uh, we have not yet finalized as of this recording, so I can't even put the credits in here yet, but we're going to have that up and running here uh, in, in the next episode, in the second episode we've got uh, Andrea's dancing on the video there. You can't see it yet. It's the Diago dance. Ah, yeah. The Diago <laughs> dance. Um, all right. <laughs> but we're going to cover Sorry. the music in the next episode. Uh, all trademarks are owned by their respective owners, as silly as that sentence sounds. And that's it. So thanks for hanging out with us this week. Check out The Tight Beam next week. And until then, take care.